Hi, everyone. It's your podcast host, Jim Andrews, here with a reminder that the Ticket Manager Partner Summit is back. We'll be getting together in person on October 17th this year at the Times Center in New York City. This is a free, invitation-only event where hundreds of business leaders across the world's most influential brands in sports, sponsorship, live events, and ticketing gather to make great connections and share valuable information. Approved attendees enjoy exclusive networking events, insightful panels, and exciting celebrity speakers, all for free. Are you interested in attending? Just go to ticketmanager.com for details on how to apply. Welcome to Ticket Manager's All Access Interview Series, engaging leaders from across the sports marketing spectrum to identify and explore critical issues in the business of sports, entertainment, sponsorship, activation, ticketing, hospitality, and even more. I'm your host, Jim Andrews. Joining me on this episode is Bettina Cornwell, head of the Department of Marketing and the Philip H. Knight Chair and Professor of Marketing at the Lundquist College of Business at the University of Oregon. Uh, all of that is to say that, at least in, in my mind, and I, I know in many others, Bettina is really the the unquestioned leading academic researcher in the field of sponsorship. She's, she's li- literally written the book on on sponsorship, and it's a real privilege and and honor to have her join the join the podcast. Welcome, Bettina. Thank you, Jim. What a lovely introduction. I, I wish I could have you with me everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Bettina, one of the things I'd like to start off with is just, you know, I think it's very interesting and, and, and have always appreciated when I've been able to talk to academics, people who who study sponsorship and, and, and really know it inside and out. I'm wondering how how you even got started and how you chose this as your your field of study within marketing. Early on, I was already studying communications and miscommunications in advertising. And I went to a tennis event and the VP North America for Volvo said, yeah, wow, we're really interested in measuring more about what we're doing in, in sponsoring. You know, they were fi- filling uh, cars with tennis balls and having people guess how many tennis balls were in the car and all kinds of things. I thought, yeah, I'd like to know how this is working. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, Volvo was was the big sponsor of the the ATP tour back back in the day. So I'd almost forgotten that. It's been so many years. Yeah. I'd love to start off with a question that that you know you and I have known each other for a while. We've discussed this in in different ways over the years, and 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 that is for for all of the sports marketing sponsorship practitioners out there, the sponsors, the rights holders, the agencies that all uh, are all of them who listen to this podcast at least, you know. They have so much on their plates, and they have their own kind of market research, fan analytics that, that you know that they're collecting uh, within their own organizations and, and, and sharing, hopefully, with their partners. Essentially, why should those folks pay attention to the research that you and 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 your other colleagues in academia are doing? If we think about academics, they are a curious lot in the sense that they are. In part of their job description, they're asked to do research on topics of interest to them and topics that are relevant to business. And 
they you know ask questions, they make observations, and and they launch research. Oftentimes, it's unfunded, mm-hmm. and they produce research articles that are at times, I will admit, uh, a bit of a slog to read. <laughs> but in most instances, they're un unbiased third party kind of contributors to research. So that's nice. And um, yeah, you can learn about research findings early and implement them and be a first mover or at least have a a new strategy perspective. And the the truth of the matter is that eventually academic research gets into mainstream business Mm -hmm. and then it's cut off. The roots are cut off and it's, it's business uh, acumen then, like uh, you know, the funnel model and all of its reincarnations throughout the years is from a 60s Lavage and Steiner paper. Uh, oh. It's ancient. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when it's all decked out in colors, it looks like it's brand new. Right. Uh, <laughs> and brand equity is an academic construct that was developed by Aker. And, and so, you know, they eventually get into the business world. And But if you want to be ahead of the game, you might want to learn about those sorts of things early on. Yeah, no, that that makes a lot of sense. You know, first first mover advantage always uh, always key in, in in business. Do you think that uh, you know, practically speaking, is is there a way to you know kind of make that connection? Because as as you say, it, it can sometimes be there. There could be fascinating insights, but but maybe they're buried in a paper that was published in a journal that is not going to be on the radar screen of the folks in in, in the field. So. Do you see a better way to kind of forge those connections between, you know, what what what's being done on the academic side and and the practitioners kind of distill those those those, those nuggets of of really really key information uh that in a way that could be useful? This is where the academics fall short. <laughs> in <laughs> in translating or distilling their findings for easy to digest pieces, right? I mean, just we don't have in in the academic world as much yeah well, a, a much as much of a reward for translation pieces mm. so the the end of the story is that original uh, academic article and there's some pressure to do more of that and and uh, some people do but the key takeaways and to write that extra you know paper that goes somewhere into quick access or even on on online it takes that extra effort and that's not part of what you're um, the original mission is sure. Now that said, there I am totally keen to build bridges, and I think we should do more of that. I mean, this conversation today is one <laughs> of those possibilities, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, yeah, um, the Marketing Science Institute, which you may be familiar with, they they do something where they ask managers, industry, what are the top things that you would like to see in terms of research. And those guide a lot of research papers that are then utilized by top companies that are in the the Marketing Science Institute, the NSI list. Mm -hmm. And so I think we probably could be doing something like that. So what is it that you want to know? And what is it that keeps you up at night? And tell the academics and, yeah, they might work on it. <laughs> well, as you said, I mean, I, we have an opportunity right here to kind of kind of start to uh, to build the bridge as you mentioned. So, yeah, you know, 
Why don't we start with, I, I'd be interested in hearing just what, you, what you've been working on recently. So if you can share some of the, the highlights from some of your, your latest projects, that would be great. Let's see. Let's start with a broad-based study. So this is work with one of my previous PhD students, Dr. Kwan, and we finished a meta-analytic review. And if we could break that down a minute. <laughs> it sounds and, impressive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is a, a study of studies. Hmm. And so the, the set of studies we were considering, event studies on sport sponsorship announcements, and do those announcements by firms that they're going to spend a lot of money on sport sponsorship, do they influence their stock price? Oh, interesting. So then we looked across the studies that had been conducted, and we were able to find 34, and the the process is then not just to review them or to summarize them, but to actually, in the meta-analytics sense, go back and take their findings statistically as new research for this new paper. Okay. That gives you a huge pool that you wouldn't have had in a single paper. Right. So paper on Olympics or paper on, you know, NFL or paper on pro sports some way. So all of those coming together to one big study. And so what this research typically does, this event study, it says, okay, here's an event thing. They announced that they're sponsoring, you know, their shirt sponsor in this space. And does that influence stock price? And so that we, in almost all of the studies, you'll see a, a pre-window. Did it leak? Mm. A day of window. And then a, and a follow-on window. And so there were mixed findings across the 34 studies. Yeah, sometimes it really seemed to be a super important factor, positive returns, and some instances not so much, and even a few negative. But with our meta-analysis, we were able to show that actually the statistically significant positive impact on the stock market from these happened in the pre-window. So just before the announcement, the stock price starts to go up. Hmm. And so you can imagine you have a lot of people involved in that decision. It's right. not like an event study that considers a CEO died suddenly. Right. Probably wasn't you know, in the mix. But this one says, well, no, you know, we've got a lot of people involved in this decision. Probably people started to learn about it and the stock price starts to go up. That This is indicating this is a good investment for this firm. Hmm. Yeah, huh. so basically kind of showing that, yeah, sponsorship works. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the bottom line. We, we like yeah. it when studies come out and, and, and show that, of course. But we know that that's, you know, it's also would be good to have information the other way, right? That would that would inform us. That's the case. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Do, mm-hmm. do something a little bit different. But, you know, is, is there, you, you obviously, you, 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 are very familiar with with all kinds of of, of um, activities that that brands are doing. Um, you know, I, you do such an excellent job and in, in commenting uh, commenting on that uh, on on LinkedIn and, and things like that. Do you see? Are there some sponsorships or or or, or some practice that that you see out there that kind of you look at and say? You know, knowing what I know after <laughs> researching sponsorship for so many years, I'm I'm surprised maybe that you know, that this is still happening or, or or something like that. Does that make sense? Absolutely. My top candidate there would be the role of fit. Mm. 
for mm. match or congruence in, in sponsorship. And admittedly, early studies showed that, you know, if you match, then it goes better for you. You have better outcomes. People remember it. But these days with so much sponsorship happening, mm. if you match and you fit well with that event, so do all your competitors. And it's confusing. <laughs> right. So many, so many sponsors so so many different things, right? Mm-hmm. And if you're involved in the sport ecosystem, you're going to have you you're just going to be awash with brands in your mind. So sure. you really need to have something more going on than just fit and match. Mm-hmm. And besides, we have a, a huge number now of B2B brands and different kinds of brands that are engaged in sponsorship for different reasons. We need to think about how they fit and match. Right. But that's not the construct of interest. In my opinion, and we have shown empirically, it's really about authenticity. Mm-hmm. So with another pre- previous PhD student, Dr. Charlton, we, um, we considered a fit measure compared to an authenticity measure. And we have a, a long scale, 16 items, and a short scale, four items. And we can show that actually... It's a better measure of compatibility between a, a sponsor brand and a property. Yeah. It, it really does work because, you know, what people want is a genuine relationship. Mm-hmm. They don't want advertising stuck on that hasn't got any relationship to this team or this event. Or, and they want to know, how do you have a relationship? What is your history together? What is, what is the meaning that you share? I hear you. And it makes sense, right? Because we always talked about sponsors needing to kind of avoid clutter. As you say, you can you know, go back to the, the tennis example, right? You know, how many luxury automobiles are still involved uh, in tennis? And, and we understand why. But at some point, does it make sense for one of them to to break out of the pack uh, and, and, and do something do something different? I'm curious if there's a if there's a simple way to talk about the authenticity factors because I think that's really it, it makes so much sense to to me but but how does especially if it is incongruent right if, if if the if the consumer doesn't automatically kind of see the connection are there you know specific steps that sponsors can take to be authentic I guess well actually yes authenticity will change over time. And, you know, insurance companies, they don't they don't really match and fit. But when they've been working with a group for so long, they become part of that ecosystem. And and if they communicate about their values, shared values, if they communicate about how the history of the, the brands working together has gone and things like that, they can develop that authenticity. Well, and, and that kind of, again, bolsters something that, you know, I, again, I don't know if there's research that backs this up, but kind of the conventional wisdom is that it takes a while to kind of become successful at sponsorship, to, to start earning a return on sponsorship. Very hard to do kind of out of the gate because people have to get familiar with it and, and comfortable with it. So it sounds like that's that's backing up something that we have always kind of maybe assumed to be true in the, in the business, but, but you're putting some 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 data behind that. Absolutely. And moreover, if you're taking over from a direct competitor, other academic research shows that they are going to be remembered for not only the first six months or a year, but for a very long time. And if they've developed what I call shared brand equity, then you have to work very hard to be unique 
and the auto, the luxury autos and uh, tennis example, you can't just put your uh, symbol in the net <laughs> and, right. and rebadge. It just doesn't work. So it is, especially when you go up against a direct competitor that you've taken over a, a property from, from someone that matches and fits um, as well as you do, you need to have some authentic uh, kind of link that you articulate. Are there any other examples where kind of the research has kind of uh, busted a myth? I do think that industry either doesn't want to hear it or isn't giving adequate weight to the fact that relationships established persist. And if you aren't directly establishing new linkages in the mind, you're advertising for your competitor. Even even across categories, you still are, you'll see what we call from an academic perspective in cognitive psychology, spontaneous recovery of the previous sponsor for years. Mm-hmm. And it depends on, you know, sort of what you've done, how, how authentic you've been, what kind of activations you've utilized, whether you overcome their established shared brand equity and build your own shared equity with that property. Yeah. And, you know, that keeps happening and people ah, it didn't turn out as, as well this first year as we expected. And that's because <laughs> you've been working for your competitor for a year, probably. That's a really big point. I think because we, we, we know that sponsorships turn over, you know, there are some some examples. It was just uh, my last podcast interview was with IBM and they were talking about their relationships with the Masters and U.S. Open and Wimbledon, which go back decades. But but those are few and far between. You know, we're, we're used to, to churn in this in this business. So, you know, that's that's a really important consideration then to, to know that, hey, if I'm coming in as a, as a new sponsor uh, with a property that, that's been around for a while and has had other sponsors, I'm, I'm going to have to basically put put the work in to uh, <laughs> to start getting people to accept me, I guess, is, is one way to put it. Especially if that previous sponsor was there for six, eight, 10 years. You know, you're very well known, I think, for for spotting trends and, and synthesizing different actions into kind of a collective narrative of what's happening in sponsorship. What other things are, are are you kind of paying attention to these days? It's you know the one thing about about sponsorship to me, and and, and again, you and I have been doing this for a while. Is it, it never gets old, right? There's always some something new to uh, to to look at, whether it's you know the introduction of technology or just new ways of thinking about things. But but are there are there certain issues, I guess, topics that we should all be keeping an eye on when we talk about the the intersection of brands and properties? So I, I believe that. Trends actually can vary quite a bit country to country. The one overarching trend that we can certainly see is the ascendance of women's sports and women in sport, exemplified by our own National Women's Soccer League. And I made a statement in one of my predictions I posted you know, on, on LinkedIn a few years ago, invest now in soccer (laughs) (laughs) you'll be happy in five years or something like that and really it's been amazing but if you if you dig a little deeper that trend is really part of an overarching trend that is present worldwide and that is emphasis on diversity equity inclusion corporate social responsibility in fact a, a recent nielsen report uh discusses that managers are 
keen to emphasize DEI, environmental protection, CER across the globe. Mm-hmm. So it's not just a U.S. phenomenon, it's everywhere. And one of the ways that manifests is in the support of women's sports and the pay equality and all of the things we already know. Wow. So that's, it's a, the women, ascendance of women's in uh, women's sport is a, is an obvious one, mm-hmm. but it's backed by an enormous trend. And 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 that idea, the the broader picture too, the the focus on on DE and I and 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 in general, just kind of building purpose into partnerships. I last week just hosted a, a sponsor summit for a major marathon, and you know, literally, I would say. 80% of the conversation that we had over this half day session of, of conversations, panel discussions was, was just about that. You know, and I, I can think back, you know, even 10, 15 years ago, we would have been talking about, you know, what's going to happen on the course on marathon day, who's going to do, uh, you know, fun promotions to get the, the, the participants involved and, and, and things like that. And, and sure, that's going to be a part of, a, of, a, of an event like that. But literally, the conversation was all about how can we build purpose into these partnerships? How can we use a marathon to talk about issues like sustainability, DE&I, you know, all of those kinds of things? So, yeah, I, that has really, again, I think you and I have, have always seen linkages between sports and causes uh, you know, over the decades. But, but now... You know, it, it, it's just kind of uh, uh, off the charts in terms of of how much that activity has really risen to the to the top. And the way in which it's risen, I think, is very important. In that, women in sport, it used to be sort of this this little add on to show that you were right. doing a good thing, but now it's becoming the central story in a very more in a, in a very mature and a more uh, appealing way. That they are being recognized as athletes they are and being given better conditions which they deserve. Virginia, this has been you know fascinating. I always learn so much when I talk to you. And and before I let you know, is there is there any other since uh, since we have the platform to share all of the, the good stuff that, that you know, uh, anything else we should let either brands or or properties know from from what you're seeing and, and researching? A trend you certainly see in UK and Central Europe and continental Europe is is frustration with international sponsors and some recent discussion and some of our recent evidence from the UK was really people are just almost desperate for local sponsors to step in and um, frustrated with, you know, everything's being sold internationally, all the shirt sponsorships that go abroad and mm-hmm. things like that. And that sort of relates to work that we did not so long ago with uh, with colleagues from Germany, uh, Dr. Uh, Vosetschlager and Bachhaus. And in that, that research, we found that international sponsors are oftentimes seen as more calculative. Mm-hmm. So if they want to come into a country and sponsor from abroad in a country, how do you go about that by building authenticity? Right. <laughs> right? <laughs> Instead of just coming in and... In, in appearing to be uh, all about advertising. Mm-hmm. And the other trend that we look at, again, at the surface of the trend, at least for me, is excitement around technology and virtual you know, reality and augmented reality and mm-hmm. the metaverse. And that is so exciting and fun in terms of activation. But the 
the true, in my opinion, technological innovation permeating sponsorship right now is AI and measurement. Measuring and and coming closer to a real understanding of the value of sponsorship for brands. And, you know, you used to have advertising equivalency and then you had advertising equivalency with clear and in focus. And now you have advertising equivalency with a quality measure that is then discounted in the algorithm that really gets you close to what you're buying. Yeah. And we were, we've not been there um, in the same way. So there's a, there's a lot in technology and innovation and a lot of fun stuff that we, that gets attention of the media, but the behind the scenes of measurement is really transforming. Well, yes, and, and as you and I know, that that's been a, an uphill battle to kind of kind of figure out measurement, and and everybody's taken taken a different approach to it, and, and some more successfully than others. But but obviously, that that's a great point that the technology can really enable some of those things that that we just could never have done manually in the past. So awesome. Bettina, again, I can't thank you enough for for spending some time with us and uh, and sharing your insights. And and I will continue to look for opportunities to connect all of the great stuff that, that you and your colleagues are doing uh, with with the folks in the industry because I, I think it's really important uh, as as uh, the examples that you've talked about today clearly show. So we'll do this again in in some some format somewhere somehow. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to build more bridges. It's just exactly what both sides need. Excellent. Well, on behalf of everyone at Ticket Manager, thank all of you for uh, watching and listening. And uh, please join us again for the next episode in the All Access interview series.